Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Life's like a box of chocolates, Darren. Never can be sure exactly what you're going to get. Did you know today we were going to get a revised definition of what it means if Marshawn Lynch says, take care of your chicken? I didn't know that was going to be today. Did not see it coming. Why are we excited to go to work every day, man? We get paid to write and talk about sports for a living. God bless America. First world problems, right? It's even better when you learn new terminology, thanks to your astute listeners across the state. Take care of your chicken, folks. Your bodies and your mentals and your money and your bread as well. 1-800-849-2761. Marshawn's trip to Princeton did inspire a question of the day. I have more on March Madness, including the Tar Heels looking more like the Tar Heels in their otherwise season of mis misery. 93-83 Carolina over Wake last night. Danny Manning is on the Danny Manning watch. Will he be dismissed as the head coach of the Deacons at some point next week or soon thereafter whenever he loses his final game in year six? It's been five losing six seasons out of six. Wake is a wealthy university, but some fans translate that into also being a wealthy athletic department. That is not the way it works in the real world, just to be clear with everybody. I don't know the endowment at Emory and Henry University in Virginia, Darren, your alma mater. I don't know the endowment at Elon University, your grad school alma mater. But I do know that Wake Forest University's endowment, so many contributions from so many alums and other partners of the university that you try to create just essentially a pile of cash that spins off on an annual basis so much money that it pays for a lot of stuff. Wake's endowment as a university is more than $1.3 billion, all right, with a B. That puts it among the 100 wealthiest universities in the country. And by the way, that some of those numbers are eye-popping, all right? As I remind you of our questions of the day, as we jump into some March Madness, including the resurgent Tar Heels of Roy Williams, who we heard from earlier, Joe Lenardi, bracketologist from ESPN, Lavelle Moten from NC Central, also with us today. Your phone calls now, including on the questions of the day. Have you ever witnessed a sports figure as a graduation speaker? If yes, who was it and how did it go? Marshawn Lynch is headed to Princeton. Lance Armstrong, Jay Billis, Philip Rivers, Mike Ditka, and many others making the airwaves today thanks to your storytelling. You can be next. doesn't have to be your graduation. You just had to be there. Have you ever witnessed a sports figure as a graduation speaker? Some at Princeton are not sure Marshawn Lynch is the right fit for that role. If you do have a story to share, who was it and how did it go in your recollection? 1-800-849-2761. That is your ticket into the program. To basketball, the Danny Manning watch, the Wolfpack bubble watch, and the resurgent Tar Heels as we invite those calls. Wake Forest has a $1.3 billion endowment. The immediate reaction of a casual fan might be, well, even if Danny Manning's buyout is $10 million or more, I could do some basic math. $10 million is a lot, 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 lot smaller than $1.3 billion. You can't think of it that way. They are different buckets of money, and they do not cross over at all. It just doesn't work that way. Would you know, Darren? Do you have any idea? I mean, given your six-figure contributions to Emory and Henry, you probably have to add a new decimal just <laughs> since you've graduated there, right? Yeah. Uh, for example, the last I saw, Harvard 
had an endowment of more than $38 billion. That pays for a lot of stuff. Just the proceeds. So you don't touch the capital. You do not, you just enjoy the proceeds and whatever it spins off every year. That's paying for a lot of things in a lot of contexts. The University of Texas in that same neighborhood, $30 billion. Yale, near $30 billion. Stanford, obviously a Power Five type program, $26 billion. That's the university endowment. Wake Forest is not that high, but it is among the 100 wealthiest universities. Unbelievably successful and prestigious private university right here in our backyard. $1.3 billion. It's not like those numbers, but it is in the top 100 of all colleges and universities in our country. You don't just take from your left pocket, meaning the university endowment, which is separated by a whole lot of things from the university athletic department. Never the twain shall meet, you've heard, from the mouths or words of a poet. It kind of works that way in major college athletics as well. It helps to be a wealthy university, but it helps enormously more to be a wealthy athletic department. Would you know that the largest athletic department, just as one example in the ACC, would be, in many years, Florida State. So Florida State is spending $160 million or more on athletics, separate from the university. This is just the athletic director and what it costs to run and maintain all those sports. I don't know the number at FSU exactly, but at some of the schools we follow, there's 30 different sports. And remember, only football and men's basketball tend to turn profits most of the time. So at Wake, maybe they have an $80 million athletics budget. That is, in some years, the smallest in all of the major conferences. And the Florida State example, I think, should underline it. If Florida State is making and spending, and these are rough numbers, but $160 million, and you're a member of their league, and you're making and spending 50% of that amount, you are not overflowing in cash, by definition. So Danny Manning has a large buyout. Danny Manning, as I shared earlier, I don't think has justified a year seven as the head coach of the Demon Deacons. Again, I like him and I admire him as a person. This is just my 33 years of experience opinion about what Wake needs to do to get its basketball program back where it wants it to be. Very successful for the two previous decades. 14 NCAA tournament trips from 1990 through the year uh, 2010. So a 20-year period, you're, you're in the big dance 14 times. Unless you're Duke or Carolina or somebody like that, you're not making it 90 to 95% of the time, right? Two-thirds is pretty darn good by most school standards going to the big dance rather than the NIT or something less than that. And that's where the Deeks were with Chris Paul and Tim Duncan and Dave Odom as a coach and Skip Prosser as the coach and even Dino Gaudio as the coach. Last 10 years, only one trip. Last six years, only one trip under Danny, and no NITs. So those five other years weren't just middling years, they were losing years. That matters. If you're the smallest athletic budget in the ACC, and if you're making and spending half as much money as some of your own competitors, you cannot just write a check of $10 million or more. And I believe, and I know this is how it often works, I believe it's the way it's working at Wake Forest right now. It sounds strange to say that you can negotiate a buyout. I don't blame a coach who tells a school, guys, we all signed this contract. 
And this contract says, if you fire me, you owe me this percentage of my compensation times however many years I have left on my deal. Danny Manning happens to have five years left on his deal. We believe it's a private university, so they don't have to share publicly this information. But we believe he makes about $3 million a year on average. And we know, because Wake did disclose this, that he has five years left on his deal. If they owe him every dollar, and it all depends on the wording of a contract. Part of what I did as a practicing attorney was contract law. And seriously, 99% of the time in contracts, the answer is, well, what does the contract say? It's not what's fair. It's not what did you think you signed up for. It's not did you really mean it when you signed that contract. It's what does the contract say? Seriously. And if the contract says Danny's owed every last dollar for every year that he has remaining, well, it would be five years times $3 million, $15 million. That's a huge buyout. If you're at a school whose budget is $80 million a year, $15 million, and I don't believe it's that number, but Jeff Goodman reported an $18 million buyout last year. That would be reduced to 15 now, right? Five times three instead of six times three. Again, I don't think it's 15, but I know it to be a very large number. If you're in $80 million a year athletics department, you can't simply write a single check of $10 million or more. When people talk about negotiations, it boils down to this. Danny, do you really want to go through another year of this negativity where a percentage of the questions you get are, are you going to get another year? And the building is half empty, and even recruits are asking, are you going to get fired or not? And it has to hurt recruiting, even though the Deeks have some good players coming in. Do you really want more years of this? Or can you cut us a break and either reduce the amount of money we owe you contractually? You're allowed to do that. Contract says one thing, but that doesn't mean you can't say, you know what, it's probably best for both parties to move on. I'll accept whatever. He's not, he's not going to say, I'll accept 75% of what you owe me. He, he could say, and I've known of examples of this, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a 10% discount. This, this atmosphere of apathy and negativity is getting to all of us. Wake fans deserve better. It's within his rights to take whatever discount he wants to give Wake. It's also within his rights, and this stuff can really matter for these schools that don't have as much money. What if the contract, and this is a what if again because we don't have the contract. It's just a hypothetical. What if the contract says, you owe Danny all of that money the day you fire him? Well, now if you're John Curry, the Wake Forest Athletic Director, and you philosophically think it's time to turn the page on Danny Manning, you've got a real-world problem on your hands. You're not a wealthy athletic department. And now if the contract says you owe him every dollar on day one, a lump sum, you got to figure out a way to pay that. And you know how it works in the real world? You call your biggest boosters and ask if they'll sign checks paying for some portion of the mega-million-dollar buyout. You, of course, talk to your banking partners to see if you can take a loan if necessary. You talk to the university president to see if he, he or she can shift money from one part of the university to another. They don't like doing that to pay coaches not to coach, by the way. So it's not as simple as sign a check, move on, especially at a smaller school with a smaller athletic department budget. Danny could say, I'll take a little less than I'm owed, and Danny could say, you know what? I'm not sure what I'm doing next as a coach. Again, if he gets fired, that is just educated speculation. He could say, I'll take payments over the next five years. Instead of, what if it was $10 million he was owed? Instead of paying me $10 million on the first day you fire me, hard, pay me 
$2 million a year for the next five years. Or you can pick whatever you want. Pay me $1 million a year for the next 10 years. I would talk to my financial advisor and say, man, you know, Uncle Sam's going to get a much bigger bite of that if I take all – this is a hypothetical, by the way. I, sadly, I have never been in these personal shoes myself. Should I take the $10 million, Darren, all at once? Or does Uncle Sam get a smaller tax bite if I just make it a million a year over 10 years, right? I mean, I'm calling my financial advisor. I'm calling my tax guy. I do have those people on the payroll. And if I'm Danny Manning, why not, right? Why not maximize the tax advantages, maximize the financial planning advantages, uh, and whatever else? I know, I know that these kinds of conversations are happening between Danny Manning's agent and the university. Does that mean he is 100% going to be fired? No. Does it mean he's going to accept the terms that Wake is suggesting? No. Does it mean he's going to demand less than every last dollar the contract says he's owed? No. So I'm not guaranteeing a result here. I am telling you that those conversations are happening. So it's not, it is not blind, reckless speculation about Danny Manning's place on the coaching carousel and the hot seat. It's the real world. It's not a fun part of our job. But that is happening at Wake, and I believe it's happening at Boston College with Jim Christian. And, of course, I don't know the behind-the-scenes details at Georgia Tech, four years of no NCAA tournaments under Josh Pastner with an NCAA scandal on top of it where Pastner was not personally pointed out but – was part of getting the Yellow Jackets in trouble, is one way to put it. That sort of four-year resume usually gets you canned, just like Danny Manning and Jim Christian's six-year resumes almost always, almost always, lead to uh, the dismissals or resignations as well. 1-800-849-2761. James in Kenley, North Carolina, has an answer to our Marshawn Lynch question of the day. Have you ever witnessed a sports figure as a graduation speaker? If yes, who was it and how did it go? Marshawn is scheduled to speak to Princeton University's senior class later this year. James, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, DG. Yeah, back in uh, 1984, we have uh, we were having eighth grade graduation, and eighth grade, cool. Yeah, it was eighth grade gra- graduation, and there was uh, several of us that were state fans, so we were still feeling good about the '83 season. And, sure. Um, one of the, one of the kids' fathers worked in the athletic department, and he got Terry to come and speak at our awards banquet. Terry Gannon, sharpshooter from the Cardiac Pack. You know it. And and do you remember much? I, I wonder what percentage of people remember, and you're talking about eighth grade, so credit to you for, I guess that kind of stands out, seeing Terry Gannon play and then seeing him come to your classroom. Darren Vaught, do you remember any of your commencement speakers from your educational career? Yeah, so I actually, at Emory and Henry, was the senior and orator. And James, if you're still with me, hang in there, because I want to hear how Terry Gannon was as a speaker. So I was the senior orator, so I was a little bit in, involved in the process Look by undergraduate Look, graduation. But he, he might as well wear a bow tie to work every day. <laughs> he's always in all these academic elite conversations, Calm down. right? Calm down. <laughs> uh, so, but, I, but I do remember, because I, 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 I preceded this guy, and Emory and Henry College is named for a guy named John Emory, John Emory, but then also Patrick Henry, the give me liberty or give me death guy. Excellent quote. And uh, the, the commencement speaker my senior year when I graduated was this. He's, he's the most famed Patrick Henry historian there ever was. And granted, like the utmost respect for the quality of work that he does, I'm sure it's great. But man, he bored yeah, everyone to death. 
Uh, one thing I guarantee when I do commencement speeches, I will not be boring. You, you may no, not, you I, may not yeah, love my messages, that, but, but I, I am not going to be boring. I incorporate that into the planning. I'll bet you Terry Gannon was not boring. James, what do you remember from him speaking to your eighth grade class? Well, I, actually, I don't remember a lot about the subject matter. Yeah. You know, everybody wanted to know about the season and Coach V and things like that. I just had um, fun with it. With, Excuse me? He just had fun with it, basically. I mean, if I was a college yeah. kid like Terry Gannon talking to eighth graders, of course, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm not well, going mean, to. The parents, I mean, everyone, you know, were, were just, you know, giddy. I mean, it, it could have been Michael Jordan, and uh, that's how we felt. Amen. Yeah, he, and he's a smart guy to this day. Talk about a guy that you could project as a really good speaker. He's made his living in broadcasting after his playing days. A bla great blast from the past. James in Kenley, North Carolina, thanks for chiming in today here on the David Glenn Show, 1-800-849-2761. I wonder what the percentage is, Darren. So you remember that was your undergraduate commencement speaker. Correct. Did he mention give me liberty or give me death? Oh, of course. That's right, what, I mean, you I had mean, to, that, right? that was But that was the only highlight, maybe? Yeah, I mean, but but even that, like, he's not going to deliver it as Patrick Henry would. He's a boring historian. Like, that wasn't even, it was hardly a highlight. What percentage of college graduates, or even high school graduates for that matter, remember the identity of your commencement speaker, much less, like, their message? Or I don't remember like his name. I, I, I would bet that f less than half could name their commencement speaker. That might have... That's, I've been thinking about mine just because yeah. of this Marsh, Marshawn Lynch story sure. in the sports world. But it took me a while. I feel like that, that number has maybe changed. It's become... Uh, I would, and I would hope younger people can remember like what happened five years ago. Well, there's that element, versus right? 50 years there's, ago. There's less time separating it. But it has become more of a marketable thing, too, to have more noteworthy commencement speakers. I mean, like we saw the, the list we mentioned on High Point's website you know next to lance armstrong the year before i think i saw buzz aldrin was on there so it, it's just it's That's a little cool. bit it's a little bit more of a marketable thing clarence thomas was on that list too and schools prioritize getting big names for these types of things whereas before it might have been more someone you know it's successful but maybe more in academia or something that's a little less popular Last night in Chapel Hill, as expected, Carolina got revenge on Wake Forest, just as Duke earlier this week had gotten revenge on NC State. It was Tar Heels 93, it was Wake 83. As the Wake portion of that story includes the Danny Manning watch, the Carolina portion involves a team that has gone from a seven-game losing streak against ACC opponents, worst since the creation of the ACC in the early 1950s for the Tar Heels, they have now won three in a row against conference opponents. And frankly, they look more like a top half of the ACC team than they look like a bottom half of the ACC team right now. They're headed to Duke on Saturday, of course. They go to Greensboro hoping to shock the world and grab an automatic bid at the ACC tournament. Where would these Tar Heels slot? Just how they're playing. They would love to throw out the records. They can't. 13 and 17 is an ugly number and wouldn't even qualify, you remember. I mean, they could take you. But that doesn't look like an NIT record, much less an NCAA tournament record. When the heels are playing this way, what are they capable of? Your thoughts and more of mine next on The David Glenn Show. The head devil 
David Cutcliffe. You guys have a unique ability to, to just do it right. You know, all the fans are always going to defend their programs, and they should. Sometimes we all make somebody in another program mad or angry, but you guys are very fair to everybody. The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Marshawn Lynch is a speaker at Princeton University. Tar Heels are playing good basketball again. Duke is still in the NCAA tournament bubble. Kevin Grant chasing championships. State is back on the NCAA tournament bubble. Kevin can't play for his NBA team, Brooklyn Nets, but might try to play this summer for Team USA after he has recovered. Durant can't play for his NBA team, the Brooklyn Nets, but might try to play this summer more fully from that Achilles injury he suffered, remember, during last year's NBA final for Team USA after he has recovered more fully from that Achilles finals when he was a member of the Golden State Warriors. Those are among our topics today. The question of the day is inspired by Marshawn Lynch's upcoming trip to Princeton as the speaker. Have you ever witnessed a sports figure as a graduation speaker? If yes, who was it and how did it go? We have had more, far more success stories today than we have had disasters. So we celebrate Philip Rivers and Tory Holt and Terry Gannon, a Wolfpack trifecta, along with Lance Armstrong and Mike Ditka, their speeches, not necessarily those guys more generally. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. One thing I promised on the Tar Heels, and then we'll get to more of your, your calls. Also, since we're headed to Greensboro next week, really exciting announcement. Darren, I have not even shared this with you yet. Friend of the program, Ralph Sampson, UVA basketball legend, ACC legend. If you're going to be in Greensboro for the ACC tournament next week, be sure to stop by Reed's Jewelers next Thursday. You can visit with Ralph Sampson, the three-time Citizen Naismith Trophy winner and, of course, all-time basketball great, ACC or otherwise. The UVA legend will be on site at Reed's Jewelers in Greensboro signing autographs from 5.30 to 7 p.m., that is this coming Thursday, you know, a week and a little from now, March 12th, in the midst of the ACC tournament, with your purchase of a Citizen Watch at that Reed's Jewelers store on that day. You'll get a limited edition autographed gift as well. Reed's is located at 1612 Highwoods Boulevard in Greensboro. Citizen Watch is proud to be the title sponsor of the Citizen Naismith College Player of the Year Awards. Ralph Sampson, of course, an all-time great and recipient of that award himself. Cool chance to see one of the best players in ACC history. It's, again, Reed's Jewelers in Greensboro one week from tomorrow. Thursday, March 12th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. is when Ralph will be there, the seven-foot-four sensation signing autographs as part of the festivities. 1-800-849-2761. We will tweet those details in case some of them ran past your ears too quickly. Carolina has gone from losing seven straight games against ACC teams. They had never done that as an ACC member in a league that is not far from being 70 years old. Seven straight for these Roy Williams Tar Heels. And now, after beating Wake last night, the Tar Heels are on a three-game winning streak against ACC teams, including, of course, a win over NC State, which still may end up in the big bracket. 
They're still tied with Boston College, the Heels are, for the worst overall record in the league, 13-17. and 17. They're still tied with Pitt and Wake Forest for the worst league record, 6-13, and 13, as the Heels head to Duke for the regular season finale. However, they are playing better basketball, dare we say, much better basketball than I would argue one half of the Atlantic Coast Conference members are playing right now. For the first time all season, and man, it's getting late in the season. The Tar Heels are mostly healthy. I say mostly because some guys aren't coming back at all. But Garrison Brooks is playing again, and Leaky Black is playing, and Brandon Robinson is playing again, and Cole Anthony is playing again, etc. They are mostly healthy, as healthy as they're going to be, and as healthy probably as they have been all season long. Mostly healthy, finally have just a little depth, not much, but there have been nights where Roy Williams only trusted five players. It's hard to win games in this league any year when you only trust your trust level goes only five deep. They have clearly better chemistry, and they have a functional offense. Folks, the Tar Heels of Roy Williams have been the worst offense he has ever coached as an assistant or a head coach, Kansas or Carolina, dating to the 1970s when he served under Dean Smith in Chapel Hill. This season... These Tar Heels feared, failed to reach 60 points six different times. And I don't mean like just against UVA, which happens to a lot of people. These Heels, six different games, they couldn't crack 60, 6-0. They scored 85 in their win over the Wolfpack to start this winning streak. They scored 92 at Syracuse in the win up at the Dome. They scored 93 last night in a regulation victory over the Demon Deacons. When you go from those can't-crack-60 examples to averaging in the neighborhood of 90, that is not a small difference. Those are not baby steps. Those are ginormous Bigfoot-style steps in the right direction. After months of freshman point guard Cole Anthony and junior forward Garrison Brooks almost never playing well at the same time. Now they're doing it routinely. When you add better offense to better chemistry, to better health, to better depth, do I think the Tar Heels are going to shock the world and win Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday <laughs> to become what would be those, of those who have asked, what's the lowest seed ever to win the ACC tournament? The answer is a six seed. It's happened a number of times. Let me put it this way. 90-plus percent of the time, it's one of the top four seats. Seriously, over seven decades, I think it's 91% of the time, one of the top four seeds wins. And it's actually the number one seed, like, almost half the time. So Cinderella is a great story. It just doesn't unfold that way very often. But there are the six seeds that have won. I remember a Gary Williams Maryland team won as a six seed. There are other examples from yesteryear. The Tar Heels, of course, will be much lower than a six. Not all the seeds have been determined yet in this year's 14-team bracket. But they're playing better basketball than maybe even two-thirds of the league. That's the bottom line. No, they're not going to win five straight. They're playing a caliber of basketball that if they were to play best two out of three to Duke, they'd lose. Two out of three to UVA, they'd lose. Two out of three to FSU or Louisville, they'd lose. Could they beat them on a given night? Yes. But when you say, well, the Heels probably will win Tuesday, right? They're on a roll now. They're going to get a low-seeded opponent. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Maybe they'll even win Wednesday. 
Because Wednesday, your opponents are, are all teams that aren't even sure they're good enough to make the NCAA tournament. That's a very winnable game. They've beaten State twice. They just won at Syracuse. Yeah, I'm on board. Win Tuesday, win Wednesday, and then what happens? Well, Thursday, you get the one seed, the two seed, the three seed, or the four seed. And that is when, even if, it, even if the party isn't over at that point, you become extremely unlikely to string three more wins against the better competition that the ACC has to offer. Are they infinitely more interesting? Yes. Are they infinitely more confident? Yes. Are they infinitely more dangerous heading to Greensboro? Yes, yes, yes. Garrison Brooks last night, and if he's not on your all-ACC ballot, you're doing it wrong, okay? He could even make second team. I don't consider him one of the top five players in this league but he's probably going to be on my second team All-ACC squad. 25 points, 7 rebounds, and uber efficient. 9 for 12 from the field, 7 for 11 from the line. Garrison Brooks has been consistently good all year long. Second team All-ACC. Cole Anthony, of course, has missed almost half the season. He's going to be an NBA lottery pick whenever he chooses to move on, probably as a one-and-done. Last night, was it reckless, Cole Anthony? No. Was it aggressive, Cole Anthony? Yes. And it sounds like just a slight tweak in terminology. They're not at all alike. You have to be reckless or you have to be uh, aggressive to play point guard the way Roy Williams wants to play point guard, right? He, he's the fastest fast break in America when it's working correctly. Your job is to get the ball, push the ball, and if you can't get an easy bucket, distribute the ball intelligently. Cole Anthony is much more of an offensive weapon than most Carolina point guards. You know, Ed Coda was a past-first guy. Even some of the dudes that could score, you know, Ray Felton and Ty Lawson could score, but they had other elite scorers around them, Tyler Hansborough, et cetera. So they were even better distributors, fast break or half court, than they were scorers. Not that you can't score, Joel Berry, but you have to be willing to do everything Roy Williams wants in a point guard. It has taken Cole Anthony, seriously, four months to figure out, in part because he missed all that time, but it's taken him four months to figure out what Roy Williams wants in a Carolina point guard. It's not reckless. It's aggressive without being careless, and that's a delicate balance, right? Last night, 28 points, four rebounds. Roy Williams has described him as one of the most talented point guards he's ever had anywhere. He's described him as maybe the best rebounding point guard he's ever had, and Cole Anthony, so you can you can tell that from game one against Notre Dame. He had seven assists last night and only one turnover. Now, it's against Wake, but that's a Wake team that includes a senior like Brandon Childress, who's not easy to play against. Seven assists and one turnover. In all the other games where Cole Anthony wowed you, that guy's a lottery pick, and now I see why. He might have had big scoring totals, but he probably had an ugly shooting percentage and a lot of turnovers. That is not the way to win games. It might make you a lottery pick, but if you're – Shooting 30% from the field while turning it over six times, you're not helping your team win games. You have individual stats without team success. Cole Anthony with 28 points, showcasing the three-point shooting he's had all year long, but it's gotten better. Four out of five from three-point land. Eight for 14 from the field. That means you're taking smarter shots and making more of them as a result. He's always been a good free-throw shooter. He made all eight attempts last night against the Deeks. Some parts of his game you could see day one against Notre Dame before his injury. The smarter aspect of his game just arrived. 
the less reckless part of his game while staying aggressive just arrived. The I can work in conjunction with Garrison Brooks down low just arrived. The I'm going to defer to the open shooter only more recently arrived. And I'm not saying the guy showed up with a chip on his shoulder or a bad attitude. There's a learning curve for almost all freshmen. And at point guard, I believe the learning curve is even more complicated than for guys at other positions. Out of all the great freshmen in this league, and there are a bunch of them, I would argue that only Vernon Carey Jr. at Duke really showed up as, as the great version of himself. I mean, Big Vern, I'm sure, would say I, I know more now than I knew back in November and December. But go back and watch him play. He was plenty dominant in November and December. The, if you had an all-rookie team or all-freshman team, they call it, whoever the other four guys are took a while to figure it out. And Cole Anthony took a long time to figure it out. Now that he has figured it out, now that he's not reckless, now that he's not out of control, not, now that he's not at all selfish, whether that's what he was trying to do or that's what he accidentally did is irrelevant at this point. He was not what Roy Williams needed at point guard, and now he is. And Garrison Brooks, while still wearing the goggles, is back to being his better version of himself. And those two, the best players on that team, finally have figured out how to play well in the same game as they showed again last night against the Demon Deacons. The Tar Heels, who failed to reach 60 points six different times earlier this year, were discombobulated. I don't even know if they were pointing fingers in the locker room. That part, we might not know the full story behind the scenes. The part that we could see was a bad chemistry basketball team. The part that we could see couldn't hit the ocean from the beach in terms of shooting percentage, certainly by a Roy Williams standard that is higher than it is in most places. The Tar Heels are still only 13 and 17. They are still only 6 and 13 in conference play. They are still tied for last with both their overall record and their record in league games. They are infinitely more dangerous than all those other teams that aren't going to qualify for an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. And besides the big four, and in addition to the NC State bubble watch, to me, these Tar Heels now become the other most interesting thing to watch when we all head to Greensboro next week. Last call for phone calls, 1-800-849-2761. Kevin Durant in the Olympics, Marshawn Lynch as a Princeton speaker. Have you ever witnessed a sports figure as a graduation speaker? If yes, who was it and how did it go? We've had a lot of great stories from you across North Carolina today. The Danny Manning watch is also available. Other March Madness, other coaching carousel. Our guests are in the books. That's why you can join us at 1-800-849-2761 next on the David Glenn Show. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances. And I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. A couple quick questions I got by email today. Then last call for phone calls. Graduation speakers, March Madness, the resurgent Tar Heels. Duke, Carolina awaits us on Saturday. The Wolfpack bubble watch, the Danny Manning coaching carousel watch. Kevin Durant and Team USA, Tim Duncan's victory as the head coach 
of the San Antonio Spurs last night as the expense at the expense of the Charlotte Hornets right there in Charlotte. Goes on Pop's record, but Timmy D got to sit in that chair for the first time. Former Spurs great, former Demon Deacons great, of course. Gary and Wilson will be among our final calls. 1-800-849-2761. Quick follow-up on the Tar Heels. If I'm Roy Williams, this is the first time all season that I have six players that I trust. Last segment I mentioned, obviously, the new and improved Cole Anthony. Clearly understands what Roy wants and doesn't want way better now than he did in some of his reckless days, uh, out of control even at times, discombobulated offense earlier this season. Garrison Brooks has been just a rock of stability and production pretty much all year long. Beyond that, Christian Keeling, the transfer, is a way better version of himself right now as a mid-range shooter and a three-point shooter than he was for like the first three months of the season. He was invisible. And now he's actually a confident, productive player on the perimeter. Roy Williams could have used that for the first three months of the season. Brandon Robinson is mostly healthy again. When healthy, he's been a pretty reliable senior among those honored last night, of course, on senior night. So now you have Cole Anthony. Two of his wings are Keeling and Robinson playing way better. Brooks is the rock inside. Leaky Black is kind of your Theo Pinson, bring it up sometimes, defensive stopper sometimes, not really an offensive threat for the most part, but a nice glue guy and complimentary player. And Justin Pierce, you know, more nights than not, he's helpful, he's high energy, etc. I don't know if the heels go beyond those six in players that I would trust, but Six is better than the two or three that sometimes Roy Williams had a little bit earlier this year. 1-800-849-2761. DG, you brought up earlier in today's show how sometimes the schools themselves might not like you talking about the coaching carousel. I'm curious how often over the years have you gotten those calls from schools? I'd say rarely. I mean, I couldn't fill. In the early days, you'd get more calls because of sports radio audiences or message board audiences or whatever, an athletic director would hear something. Now, they might not have been listening. Easier as a writer. Like, if <laughs> you could just forward them whatever you wrote, and there's no whisper down the lane. Because at one point, when it comes to radio, it's like nine out of ten things they would call you for. Back in the early days of message boards, it would be wrong. Uh, no, I didn't write that. No, I didn't say that. I mean, come on, right? Every once in a while, I mean, would they prefer everybody take the official school website approach? Uh, you know, ACC Network doesn't talk about coaching carousel issues. It's too sensitive. I guess they would prefer that, but they're professionals as athletic directors and assistant ADs. Even the coaches will call you every once in a while. You know what they want? They want to be treated fairly. They know that if you're – I'll put it this way. Nine out of ten coaches and athletic directors – understand and respect our job descriptions just as we're asked to respect theirs and they know my 33-year track record for fairness and accuracy and if I have an opinion that makes them uncomfortable but I can back up my opinion with facts and expertise well they're not going to be mad again nine out of ten the tenth person sometimes will call you out and say you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that you know I'm not sure we're going to be here for you the next time you ask for this or that I'm like man if you can't respect my job you know, I don't have any respect for you. This is part of my job description. I don't just get to, I don't, I'm not here to be a cat that licks up the milk out of whatever bowl you put out for me this today. I'm not on your payroll. I have an independent journalist job here. And sometimes hot seat and coaching carousel questions. Yes, they're sensitive. Yes, they can complicate your coach's job. 
The 90% get it and rarely, if ever, complain. Uh, the 10% don't get it. And if you know me well, I'm going to be professional, but I'm going to be bold. And I'm going to say, man, it's not your job to tell me what I'm allowed to talk about. It's just not. And I'm going to be fair and I'm going to be accurate and I'm going to be professional. And that's really all I owe you. Unless you want me to start telling you how to do your job, you do not get to draw those lines when it comes to my job. Again, thankfully, 90-plus percent get it. And you deal with the 10% like any of you have to deal with that 10% in your lives who tend to be unreasonable, and you just do the best you can. Gary and Wilson, real quick, you're next on the David Glenn Show. You get the last word on Danny Manning and Wake basketball today. Yes. Well, maybe Wake should make a play for Tim Duncan now that he is undefeated <laughs> as a pro. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. 1,000 winning percentage. <laughs> but I have a question for you. I wonder to what degree you feel like the presence of Randolph Childress as an assistant coach on the bench with Danny has helped appease the fan base and helped appease uh, Brandon Childress yeah. and has thereby benefited Danny in retaining his job. The short answer, because I'm out of town, or out of time, rather, is that one year ago, I could see it mattering a lot, right? Randolph Childress is this popular former player and popular assistant coach. His son, Brandon, is finishing his junior year, right? I mean, if you're ever going to give Danny Manning one more year, it's why not one more year of Brandon Childress, who just is finishing his senior season as we speak? One more year of the popular Randolph Childress. Now, guess what? Fast forward to this year, Brandon's leaving as a senior, and I don't think that even the presence of popular Randolph Childress can make up for that math equation that I described earlier, where at some point it's more expensive to keep a coach than it is to pull the trigger on what is, yes, a large and expensive buyout. Final thoughts and TV picks next. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four ties, <laughs> not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch they come. Thanks to Lavelle Moten of NC Central, Joe Lenardi of ESPN for dropping by, Notre Dame star John Mooney, and former Duke big fella Abdel Nabi will be among our guests tomorrow. FSU, Notre Dame, and other college hoops tonight. ESPN NBA doubleheader. Enjoy. We'll see you tomorrow on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people in North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.